what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Just wanted to have a special thank you for Lofty Fulton, the voice of 2GB, for doing our introduction. Thanks, Lofty. Makes us seem way more professional than we really are. Thank you very much, mate. So much appreciated. So now, cue the music. And we're live. And we're back again for the second episode of the Canine Paradigm. How's that sounding in your ears? Sounds pretty good. We realized we had some technical issues in the first episode. Um, Turned out that in spite of the fact that we're talking into microphones, going through a big mixer, we were actually just recording off of the laptop. And since I am two meters from the laptop and Glenn's one meter from the laptop, it turned out you could really hear him much better than me. Um, Which was kind of weird, but... We're sorting our technical yeah. issues out now. Well, we're not exactly uh, audio technicians. Well, we're dog trainers, and I don't think we're expected to be audio technicians, but for people who gave us, who were kind enough to give us feedback on the first episode, and they were making it clear that it was poor sound, which, yeah. thanks, guys. And that's, you know, for future episodes, we want feedback. 100%, 100%. So if you've got suggestions on things that you would like us to do, please let us know. Yeah, we've got an idea of where we want to go with it um, and what we want to do. Um, but definitely, if anyone has uh, someone they think that we should get on the podcast, which we very much plan on doing um, guests as soon as possible, um, and any topics you'd like us to cover or look into or research for, for you and talk about, um, let us know. Hit us up on our Facebook page, which is now running, The Canine Paradigm. Um, we've got Instagram. We are live on iTunes. Um, and it's all the Canine Paradigm uh, on all of them. We it wasn't. Can you believe that was an available URL? It's amazing. Yeah, it's it completely freaked me out when I went up and signed it up. Oh, by the way, um, Brent Dreyer did make a suggestion that when we do our podcast, we should introduce ourselves. Right. So we've just talked for about five minutes and failed to do so. So already we're missing a valuable point that Brent made. So I'm Glenn Cook. I'm um, one of the hosts on the canine paradigm and i'm pat stewart i'm the other host on the canine paradigm and i won't say anything about me being batman <laughs> no. um so we did one episode and it was me interviewing glenn we're pretty keen to just sort of do uh, the first couple episodes talking about ourselves quickly so that that's out of the way and anyone who doesn't know us um or doesn't really know our history and how we sort of got to this point um we can get that out of the way and then we can start moving on to get into more dog related stuff and our history is a, it's it's not our history of our lives it's history of how we got into dogs which i think is relevant to the show it is relevant to the show and um along the way as we said in the podcast what our ambition is is to also speak to people who are involved in the industry yeah so if we've got people in the country that are doing seminars and we've got them available to um hook up with and chat we'd love to have them on the show uh Failing that, we'll try and get them through Skype once we get a little bit more technologically involved. Yeah, it took us 40 minutes to set up Evolved, morning, I should so say, not involved. But it took yeah, us 40 it minutes, so we'll have to figure that out before we have someone waiting on Skype for 40 minutes. Yeah, so uh, 
these things will get better as we go along, hopefully, um, and with better content, better um, information on what's relevant and what's not. So rather than chatting about that, because we're going to have plenty of time to chat in future podcasts about what we're doing, where we're going, mm-hmm. what I'd like to do now is uh, talk a little bit about you, mate. So um, Pat Stewart, who are you? And how did you get involved in the canine career? Uh, yeah, so um, my story is like I think ninety percent of dog trainers that uh, I had a I bought a dog um, that I had a lot of issues with and was way out of my depth and sort of realised, hang on, I've, I've got to figure this out. Um, and then along the way, fell in love with the process and decided that I wanted to continue doing it and started doing it with other people's dogs and and that's how I got here. Mm. So. Um Prior to you becoming a trainer, you had a uh, a pretty illustrious type of career. Uh, yeah, so um, pretty much straight out of school. I mean, I worked on building sites for a year as an apprentice stonemason, just sort of filling time. Um, and then I um, actually didn't know that. That's something that we've talked, and I actually never knew about you being a stonemason. Yeah, so I I, I decided I want to be a stonemason. I don't know why. I don't know where that came so from. You, you're um, career coordinator just came up to you and said, what do you want to be? You can be anything. What do no, you want to be? And you just said, oh, stonemason. If you can believe the career coordinator, actually, when I said I wanted to be a, a stonemason, he goes, oh, I hope you're okay with working at heights. And that was as far as it went, right? That was like... What a what a legend of a career yeah, coordinator. He was, he was like, great. you didn't sit you down and say, son, I think you need to really evaluate your life choices. Yeah. So anyway, I started an apprenticeship as a stonemason. Fair um, enough. And uh, I'd enjoy it. It was pretty good. I liked working What, what do stonemasons actually do? Um, well, it's... It, it's a funny one in Australia. It's actually, it is a trade. You can be certified, mm. um, like as I was on my way to doing, but anyone can call themselves a stonemason. So I work for a, like a construction type stonemasonry place. So do, building a lot of walls and that kind of thing. It's kind of, we were uh, a lot of heritage work replacing, in, in and around Mossman in Sydney, replacing parts of buildings and stuff like that that were falling apart. You know, stones right. only got a life of mm. sort of 150 odd years in Australia. Um, so, Australia at the Sydney at the moment is really in the uh, peak replacement time for a lot of the stonework. Um, so then there's construction masons, which I mostly was, and then there's what they call banker masons, which are the people who carve things out of stone. So I did a little bit of that, um, but just not like carving statues, like carving window sills and making that kind of stuff. Um, so I only did that for a year, and then um, I I liked it. I, I would have stayed doing it until I decided to join the army. That the the stonemasonry thing is actually quite fascinating. I'm I'm actually intrigued about like the um, the life of buildings and stones in Australia. I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it it, it was a fun job. Mm. I, I enjoyed it. And what actually happened was um, my best mate at school, um, like well, a couple of us sort of like really good friends. One of them joined the army straight out of school, mm. um, and then another one um, was joining. And had like a setback uh, in actually getting in. There was a problem. He had to reset a test and there was a slight delay. And then um, he needed a lift to recruiting at one point because he moved and had to let them know of his change of address. Um, And so I gave him a lift to the recruiting centre to let them know. He went off into one room to let them know that. And I'm talking to this girl in the other room. And two weeks later, I was in the army. (laughs) um, Just like that? Yep. So... She just was talking, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I do this and that. And, you know, your friend's going in on this, this new program, which I didn't really know anything about. And what it was was the uh, – at the time, they were starting a new thing called the – what later became the DRS program, the Director Recruiting the Special Forces, where you could – they 
were taking people straight from the street. You go to basic training, school of infantry, and then you could attempt special forces selection basically straight away. Um, and I got talked into doing that uh, there and then. And two weeks later, or thereabouts, I'm at Kapuka doing basic training. And 12 years later, I'm still, I was still in the army. Um, so I joined directly into, um, uh, well, so after finishing school of infantry, I then went on to commando selection straight away, which was sort of new. No one had really done that before. Um, in that program, I think there were 48 guys started and three of us finished and were buried commandos on the original timeline. A few other guys caught up later. Um, yeah. And so I spent 12 years, um, in special forces before I got out a couple of years ago to start training dogs full time. Uh, there's also a story about why you got out. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it wasn't my intention to leave the army. I probably would have stayed in the army forever. Uh, but I broke my back in 2011. Mm. I broke my back in a couple of places and bulged a few discs. And just along the way, my body had basically fallen apart. Um, so, you know, I've got the, the fracture of my back is a past defect in my L5, which means it'll never, ever heal. Those bones will never touch again. Uh, I've got disc bulges above and below. Um, and then I've got like labral tears in both my hips. So my hips don't sit quite right and my knees dislocated a few times and I've fractured my femur and I'm pretty banged up. We and should call you lucky instead of Pat. <laughs> well, <laughs> it happened to me, so I'm not super lucky. Um, but I'm okay. Uh, but I, yeah, I did have to leave the army. It basically got to the point where my body just wasn't holding up anymore mm. um, and I had to go. Um, but along the way, I, um, had an amazing time. I loved it. Like I say, if I were capable of staying in the army, I, I would have. Mm. Um, and I did stay in many years, like four years after wrecking my back. Um, but it just got to the point where I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, I was becoming sort of a liability to people rather than, um, helping. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose, especially in that role where it is so pivotal on yeah, and, the and team. Yeah. I was kind of lucky, like I, I technically should have been kicked out of the army that, that as soon as I broke my back, because they knew the type of fracture it is, it can't heal. I was never going to be deployable again. They knew that. Mm. Uh, it was only because of my sort of rank and skills, I was allowed to stay. So at the time I was like the, the sniper platoon sergeant. Um, and so uh, they spent a lot of time getting me to there. And actually, kind of sadly, around that same time, the unit had a couple of um, sergeants killed in action um, and so there's a little bit of a power vacuum there so they really couldn't afford to lose guys at that level mm. there was no one to replace me um, so I was put on a critical skills waiver uh, for four years and I stayed in the army um, during that time um, and so uh, most of the time I spent in the special forces was in the TAG which was the tactical assault group um, doing counterterrorism stuff but I also did uh, two deployments to Afghanistan, one to East Timor, and then you know a bunch of other sort of small deployments around the place doing other stuff. So it's a it's a pretty uh, amazing career, and a yeah, I loved it. I mm. loved it. Absolutely love. Oh, being it's in the it's army. like a lifestyle already, isn't it? Like you've lived a life. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's um, you do so much, and um, the amazing opportunities, places you go, people you see, mm. um, the the experiences of being in the army. Like I said, I loved it. It it if. If it hadn't have gone the way it did, just with injuries, I would still be in the army. Um, it was always my intention to stay forever. But I'm, I'm sort of really happy that it did change because I kind of always said that I didn't want to have kids in the army um, because loads of people do, but I just think it would be too difficult. 
to be a parent the way that I wanted to be a parent um, mm. and be in the army. So when I knew I was leaving, we had a little boy and he's two and a half now. Basically, I got out of the army by like two weeks after he was born. Um, and yeah, got an amazing life, training dogs now. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've never been in any sort of government agency. I've always been a civilian. I've trained with plenty of police, military people. Um, so I'm not one of those persons who likes to dress up in military gear and pretend I'm a military person. And There's plenty of them out there. There's plenty of them out there. Um, so, and especially in the working dog field, there seems to be lots of people who like to dress up like army people. And, Absolutely. Mm. And we put up with them. Yeah. I've heard your renditions on that before and I, I share that sentiment, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'll sort of come out as we talk, but I, like everyone who's had a job like mine, you... you yeah, it forms a pretty tight network of people. Even people you must don't... be pretty offensive, right? Yeah. Well, the thing with the guys in in that job and people you deployed with and people worked with in that way, it's a bit. Even people you don't like, you still love. Yeah. Um, and they're brothers. Yeah. Family. And, and when someone pretends that they're a part of that and they weren't, that can be difficult. Mm. That that can be offensive and um, can really put put people off. Um, Have you seen that? clip on youtube where there's a guy wandering around wearing a like a oh there's heaps of them uniform and there's, there's heaps a, of them um but you know it's it's a form of flattery a, a lot of time that's people with mental illness it's it's problems but um i get that i do get that i just don't get it when people want to yeah yeah anyway we move on move on um <laughs> but so that's sort of uh, before i was interested in dogs i joined the army and i was in the army and i loved it um, I was on a deployment in, um, I think it was 2008, something like that. Uh, and I saw my first military working dog. Um, and I just thought, wow, this thing is amazing. Uh, and I just loved it. It was type uh, of dog, Mally. Um, the first one I ever saw was an Australian one, an SAS one, uh, yep. called Risha. Uh, and then on that trip, I was fortunate enough to work with, um, some like partner force American guy that had his dog. Um, and got talking to them and spent as much time sort of talking to these guys and I didn't know what a Malinois was. I sort of looked at it and was like, you know, this short-haired German shepherd that you have that mm-hmm. everyone, that's the same thing everyone has. Um, and spoke to him and was really interested in it and what I don't think I picked up at the time because this guy that I was spending a fair bit of time with, um, he he was a really good dog handler but someone else trained his dog and the dog was really good. So he gave me the wrong impression about how easy it was to live with and manage that kind of dog. Mm. So I came home um, and we had this old Border Collie, mongrel Border Collie thing. We had Ernie. He was just my family pet dog. Um, well, he was a bit weird, Ernie, because um, me and my wife, Jane, we weren't married at the time, but um, we moved in together. And most of the guys, like army guys, they don't have dogs because they you know, they can't really keep one. But we, So we did and um, Ernie was kind of like everyone's dog. Um, he used to do... Uh, he used to do so much running old Ernie because everyone would want to take him for a run. He was really just a super easy dog. He, we got him at seven. He was like a, I guess, a rescue in that he, um, we got him out of the trading post. We just, back when that was a thing, um, and it was just someone that needed uh, someone to look after their dog for a year and because um, the she was moving overseas. Uh, anyway, we ended up keeping the dog. They came to pick him up and he didn't want to leave with them. And so <laughs> he really, him and my wife were really, really tight, so... They said, oh, well, you can have him. So we did, and he was his great dog, And but he was old. So by the time I started thinking, geez, I'd like to get into training dogs, Ernie could barely walk, and there was no training in him. Wasn't Ernie kind of like the 
known as the like the local um, celebrity dog or something. Not celebrity dog, but he was like a local community dog, or yeah. everyone knew who Ernie was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got even people who see me training now. I'm, I'm one of those people that hardly ever uses the leash. I'm that problem person, but I've never had a problem dog. So my dogs just cruise around. They're super social, um, and Ernie. Like oh, people. so you're the guy that goes to the dog park and says, my dog's friendly, it's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. me. Mm. But my dog is friendly. <laughs> um, anyway, but Ernie was just this border collie and he just used to, like I say, people used to just take him and um, he'd be at all these parties. He was an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> we, you, now you've got to explain that. Well, when we got him, the people we got him from, we said, oh, look, we have a lot of parties. Um, have people over all the time. He's is he going to be oh, okay God. with that? And they said, yeah, we even give him a beer. <laughs> and I didn't fully understand that until... Like he would knock, he would try and knock. If you had a beer, red wine was his thing. If you had that, he would actively try and knock that out of your hand um, so that he could drink it off the floor. You should have called him Brian. Brian, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was pre-family guy. Mm. Um, anyway, so uh, Ernie was just too old to train at all. He was like, he just laid around. Um, so I started researching dog training and got really into the idea of training dogs and, and thought I knew a fair bit of it, but hadn't really done it. And then when he passed it, I was like, okay, it's time to go out and, and, and get this dog. I knew nothing. Um, Googled Malinois. There's a website. If you Google it, you'll see the one that comes up. Uh, and called those guys uh, and spoke to them and walked out and said, hey, look, I want this dog. Um, they said, yeah, yeah, we've got the exact dog that you're after. I said I wanted a puppy because I wanted to raise a puppy. And they said, oh. And, they, and I didn't know any better at the time. They just said, look, we don't. no one sells Malinois puppies. Um, and the, you have to understand this was pre- Facebook being what it is now, mm. so you 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 could you couldn't just find this huge network of people in an instant and get good advice. It wasn't around like that. Groups on well, Facebook, you not still instantly. can't. Get, no, well, yeah, you still can't get. You still got to have a crap filter when you're getting on. Yeah, there's a when you're process. looking for good advice. Just a, a boring fun fact for people who um, may or may not be interested, but there are. Malamars are actually referred to as Belgian Shepherds, but I, I guess they've got to be categorised as a Malamar because there are actually three other breeds in the Belgian Shepherd family, which are the Tuvarian, Groendale and Lakenoir. Yeah. So um, it's probably better to refer to them as a Mal or a Malamar. Um, yeah. A lot of people still call them Belgian Shepherds, but the, prob- the problem is it comes with the confusion that there are three others in that breed type. Yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, I decided I want this Mali go out, talk to the guys. Um, and they just saw me coming. Uh, and I knew no better. So, um, did I just lose my mic then? No. Uh, so, I buy this dog. I, well, I say they, they, they say you can't get a puppy. No one will sell you a puppy. I go, okay, no problem. Um, here's this adult dog. I said, oh, okay. Like, I was after a puppy. It's not possible. They bring out the dog. And he looks good. Comes out. Um, it looks like this happy social dog. And they said, are you going to do protection work? And I said, no, nah, uh, that's not really my thing i want to get into training dogs actually at the time thought i was going to do agility just anything obedience anything i just want to train a dog i didn't really have a need for a biting dog um which again stupid like why would you get a mallee if that's not your intention to do something like that mm. um anyway so i i say yeah i want that dog um three grand i'm so sweet no problem um and uh I, I'm thinking that's me leaving now with the dog. But they then told me that they had to keep the dog for two weeks to train it, right? And there was no extra cost on that, which is bizarre. And I said, well, the point of me getting this dog is I want to train it myself. That's what I want to do. And they told me that uh, 
in order to do to take the dog from them, people, the people would ask where I got the dog from. It's a peculiar dog, uh, and he was a very pretty Malinois. Um, and people would ask where he got this dog from. So he needs to have a basic level of obedience. This is Ryder we're talking about. Yeah, Ryder was his name. Yeah. yeah. So um, th- th- this is the the dog that we've got on the logo. That's, yeah, that's the, the one that's me. Well, it's, that's right. He's grey in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he was just a normal looking Mally. But um, anyway, so they tell me that they've got to uh, put some obedience on the dog. Basic, like healing, loose leash walking, sit, stay. I'm like, okay, that I can handle because I want to teach other stuff. So two weeks later, I come pick him up, and is a different dog. Um, in fact, if I didn't have photos from that day, I would almost say it was a different dog and he was in bad shape. Um, like not physically didn't look in bad shape, but you could tell that he'd been crushed Mm. and it was now really fearful and was basically just avoiding problems everywhere he went. I thought, oh fuck. Uh, even me knowing nothing about dogs, uh, thought, well, how, what am I going to do here? So. Um, yeah, Brim took him home, decided to take him anyway. Now, like me now, it's like, nah, see you later. I paid mm. my deposit. I'll, I'll, I'll lose that. That that's a problem that I don't want to take on. Uh, but at the time I, I took him and then it was just, God had this monster in my house. Uh, he was this really fearful, timid dog for a little while. And then he became a monster once he realized that, um, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons why, but he, uh, he became so dangerous. He was unstable. He probably wasn't genetically a great dog. I never did find out his, his bloodline. I, I was going to look into it one time, and then I just sort of figured what, what difference What's does it the make. Point? Yeah, it's no point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, he became this really dangerous dog. So I got some dog trainers around. And, and in, in my reading of becoming, like when I was interested in dog training, um, I you naturally gravitate towards positive-only stuff if you have no experience, all right? So I hadn't... Um, had had no dog to train on to play with, and so when you're reading only and it's all theory, and there's people telling you that the theory of positive only force free training is the best, if you if you look at it and you don't know any better, you're crazy if you go any other way because one people are telling you that it's okay to cause pain and discomfort, and others are saying there's no need for that. So if I like this dog and I want him and one group is saying I can do this, get the same and better results with no pain or discomfort, of course I'm going to go that way. Right. So that's which, how, which is what most people tend to do. Exactly. Right. It's, it's a, it's, it's a lot of wordplay. Exactly. And it's powerful wordplay because it, it plays on people's emotions. That's right. So, so immediately you're, you're cast into doubt because, um, you, you're, I mean, it's like, yourself you're conditioned to think that when people are saying you know pain and discomfort that you're immediately thinking worst case scenario exactly so so it just seemed like a no-brainer to me so we start trying to train this dog and i was market training and that sort of thing like uh but it just became this unruly monster and dangerous like Mm. really seriously dangerous so um and i joined the local obedience club and they had no idea what to do they'd never seen a dog like it um and he, as he was getting more and more confident, he was getting more and more dangerous. And he was never dangerous to me. He never, but everyone else, it was it was all my Donkey Kong. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that it was all mostly fear-based. Mm. Uh, I certainly understand that now, but um, at the time I, I couldn't read that. I didn't know what I was looking at. Um, so anyway, we get a couple of dog trainers over, um, well-known, positive-only dog trainers. Um, 
and pay them money to to really essentially be told that they didn't know what to do either. It was more they said do this, do this, and I was like, well, I'm doing all that. Mm. Like the deposit only playbook was was finished. It was it was played out. Um, so it they never told me to put him down. They never actually said those words, but the 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 inference was there that we there's no help for this dog. Um, you know, as he's chasing them out of the house. Um, so I was like, okay, well. This is a problem. Um, and I remember sitting on the couch with Jane and we're sitting there with this dog who's great with us, but just this unreal disaster. And man, like I'd trained him to do some cool stuff. Like his obedience at this point was really good. Um, and he could do all these kind of tricks and all kinds of really cool stuff because it was just positive training, mm. but I had no control over the dog. In a vacuum, he was fantastic. And I'm sitting on the couch and I remember saying to Jane, I think this positive only thing might be bullshit. <laughs> She's like, yep. I think so. I was like, I think I have to correct this dog or not even correct. I was like, I, I can't remember the word I used. It wouldn't have been correct. I was like, I think we need to bring him into line like, and get really sick about this. My, so th- my, my, sorry to cut in, but my belief on that is that um, positive training is a great way to go and it's great until it's not. Yeah, that, 100%. And that's and, that's the problem with it. That positive, I mean, we all, uh, this is not me like, jumping in to sound like the crusader and the defender of positive training because I'm a balanced trainer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people have issue with that word um, and I probably prefer the acronym ALEMA trainer, which is least invasive, minimally aversive. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is that um, we all start with a positive platform until it doesn't work. Yeah, And exactly. then when it doesn't work, we need to explore alternative options. Exactly. So um, then... I sort of broadened my reading uh, and started looking into different things. And, and then you find like, once you go, okay, I'm no longer a positive only trainer. I'll do whatever it takes to keep this dog alive. I'll, I'm, I'm in, I've, I've decided I've got this great bond with this dog. What I should point out is that just after I got him is when I broke my back and had six weeks off work, uh, basically laid up in bed with this dog. So I quickly developed a really very good bond with this dog. So I was kind of like a therapy dog. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and there were times when I was in so much pain that I really could barely get up. Um, and the only reason I was, was because this lunatic dog had to be taken out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I've got an untrained Malinois in my house tearing it to pieces. So, um, I'd had this really good bond with this dog. So I wasn't prepared to give up. Uh, and so once I start broadening my, reading and understanding more about dog training and like I put myself out of that box and was like, okay, now I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to keep this dog going in weeks. He's under control and he's doing awesome. Like, and became the dog that he ultimately was. He was never a really strong dog. And I think that he certainly had issues from, like I say, he was never genetically that strong. Um, and he definitely had a hard time before he came to me, but we got him under control and he was this amazing pet that we kept for a long time. Just digressing again on that point, don't you feel that it's disappointing that when you speak to professionals, rather than them having a referral base saying, okay, this is this is our way we train, okay, this is our technique, it's not working for your dog, I suggest you speak to somebody else. Kind of like a referral system when you go to a GP and say, I've got an, an issue, um, and the GP looks at it and says, I'm not qualified. You need to go and see, see somebody. You need to see a specialist. You need to see somebody who is um, trained and has a, a background of that style of training to be able to fix that problem dog. Yeah, I, I think more and more 
people are getting towards that, or real trainers are anyway. People who really are about the dogs, you might they might have have their own like this is my bag of tools and this is all I'm prepared to do. Well, the, I the, know the balance community are. Yeah, the balance community are. They're, yeah, they're, they're doing that. They're they they have that um, a, a better network system, but you know people who are fixated on one style of training rather than have that where they say, look, you know. It's not the way we prefer to do it, but, you know, we can refer you over to this. They'll just say, look, if it doesn't work our way, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the road because yeah. there is no other way of training other dogs. And if you consider it, you're an asshole. Yeah, and that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. It is. And I think that may be a podcast in itself one yeah, day. Yeah, 100%. Um, so anyway, I've got this dog and he's doing pretty good now. He's, It's all come together. But what happened was I was the guy known in the area. So I live in... in the inner west in Sydney um, where everyone lives on top of each other right and if you've got a pro- like lots of people have dogs and if you've got a problem dog you're a problem person because we don't have big yards we mm. have to use dog parks and, and um, dogs have to be social and he was always good with other dogs it was people that he wanted to kill uh, but I was quite well known in the area as being the guy with the dog that wants to kill everyone and then suddenly I'm not so people start asking me how'd you get to this point like what what's happened and I start sort of explaining to people and start helping people train their dogs just as not with never with a vision of it being a um a job it was just i had figured out a way to do it and i'd done a lot of reading and had come to understand it and i'd never considered myself a dog trainer i didn't ever represent myself to people as that it was just i did it with my dog and let me play with yours and see what we can fix so i started training with loads of other people's dogs in the in the area um and i sort of enjoyed doing it it was it was good um so then uh, what was happening at work was uh, the unit I was at, two commando regiment, were looking to raise a dog capability. Um, and I was trying to push hard to get involved in that. I really, really wanted to do that. But the problem was it was I was not in a position to do it. So I was not deployable, which meant that I couldn't um, really deploy with a dog. So if they wanted to put people in, obviously they would need to be deployable if I was going to do their course. Um, and um, also my... I was, as I say, at the time when they were bringing that in, I was the sniper platoon sergeant. And then my rank was only corporal. I was filling the role of a sergeant. Um, anyway, so uh, I couldn't basically go down to the dogs. I had a guy to run it and it wasn't me. Um, and so I was on the peripheries of it for a long time in, in the start. And I was trying to get involved as much as possible and was spending time at the kennels as much as possible. But I wasn't a dog handler. But what happened was Sam, who's now my business partner, got brought in. He's a military policeman. He got brought in to raise the dog capability and get it started because he's a dog trainer. Uh, well, so he was a, a military police dog handler, but Sam's a third generation army dog handler. He's born in Belgium. His dad was a Belgian kennel master. There's there's nothing about dogs he didn't know. Um, when, when you say he's your partner, this is probably a time to plug your business. Yeah. Well, so we have our own business. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll explain okay, how we okay, sort of okay. talk to that. So. Um, so yeah, we, uh, I linked up with Sam and said, Hey, look, I've got this Mally, um, want to do some work with him. At this point, I'd sort of got the dog to the point where I thought maybe I do want to start doing some bite work, some protection stuff with him. Um, so I bring him in and Sam says, yeah, we'll check him out. Um, and immediately Sam's like, nah, this isn't going to work out. This dog doesn't have the strength needed. And, and, um, he told me, he said, look, we can play games with this dog. We can get him biting a sleeve, certainly. And if you want to do... Um, like there's certain sports you would definitely be able to do. But if you think this dog is going to protect you when someone comes in the house, it, you're wrong. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. That 
I did not know that. I thought he was like super strong and and dangerous. He goes, he's dangerous. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but he's not strong. If mm. the option to run away is there, this dog will take it. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a distinct difference between being dangerous and being strong. Yeah, and and that's why he's so um, aggressive in your house is because he's stuck in there. Uh, and I was like, oh, I did not realize that. Um, so as it all started to sort of unfold for me, um, I realized that. Uh, and Sam did me a huge favor that day. It was a big kick in the teeth. Um, and, and I've seen that other people get similar information and take it in a totally different way, especially from Sam. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, did me a huge favor. It was, um, it was, a, a, a huge help. Did the right thing. Um, anyway, speaking, he's actually calling me now. Yeah, I know. I just heard the what phone vibrating. out. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I start training with Sam in as much as possible and the dog handlers at work. And like I said, I was never a dog handler in the army, but I was training a lot of their dogs as much as I possibly could. So, you know, th- what happens with army dogs, um, when they're no longer suitable, really no one wants to know them, which is fair enough. They've got other dogs to move on to. Um, and so the dogs that, um, were in the kennel and pe- weren't assigned handlers for whatever reason, like they might have developed a gunfire aversion or something like that. I was training as much as possible and trying to get as much hands-on with that type of dog as I possibly could. So really, I'm, in, I'm, I'm working my normal day job in the Army. While I'm there, I'm helping out in the kennels as much as I possibly can, and I'm trying to get as much training time on military working dogs as I possibly can. Um, and I was kind of positioning myself to sort of help out those guys in like a platoon sergeant type role. Uh, and then um, outside of work, training as many dogs as I can, pet dogs, just doing stuff. And it's, I was never seeking out stuff. I would just get calls from people or know people in the neighborhood would be like, hey, can you help me with this? And so I actually kept a log. It was hundreds of dogs that I was training with no intention at this point of ever becoming a, a, a professional dog trainer. Did, it, did you have that feeling at one stage where you thought to yourself, something about this feels right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, and... What I really liked was getting dogs that were acting dangerously and were mm. a problem and couldn't be around and being able to get them to the point where they could fit into society. Because as I say, in my area, you, you cannot have a dangerous or dog-aggressive dog. It is impossible. Um, the People will chase you out of the park. Um, yep. You cannot do it. And so to have that and then have someone that can turn it around for you. I, I enjoyed doing that for people. I love doing it. And mm. I never, I hadn't charged anyone. It was just, I was just the dude. It, it really, it, although I had employed dog trainers to essentially give me no information, I, um, it didn't occur to me that that could be a job that you could do. Mm. Um, and anyway, so I'm tra- helping train all these dogs and I'm training with Sam as much as I can. And we're, we're, we're training dogs and I'm seeing all these problems and it's always in the raising of dogs. It's problems, right? So I say to Sam one day, hey, are you interested in helping me out? I've got this idea. I want to get another puppy and film the puppy's whole life and training and make a video series on how to raise a puppy and cover the first year. Because what would annoy me, because I was watching so many videos on dog training, is people like, say I'm going to teach a dog how to sit and the dog knows how to sit and they do an explanation video with the dog that knows it. And everyone can tell that and there's no frustration. You never get to see what happens when it doesn't work or how to actually even just get a dog to follow a lure that's never followed a lure. Mm. So I wanted to make this video from scratch. Uh, anyway, so I saw Sam and he said, yeah, sounds like a cool idea. We could do that together. 
because I needed someone that knew more than me, um, and it's a two-man job, you know. Um, so we decided to make this business. We called it MSK, which is Monty Stewart Kennels. He's Sam Monty. I'm Pat Stewart. Um, and we just randomly bought this Springer Spaniel. Into um, Val. Yeah, into Valerie. Um, she's been through some name iterations. Her real name was Valor when we started. Well, her, her she's a she's got a proper pedigree, so her real name is Elderberry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Canicula Elderberry is her real name. Um, we called her Valor to start with. Um, a, funnily enough, uh, Cam Baird, who was a friend of mine um, in the I army. I thought you would have called her Valkyrie because you're a bit of a Viking fan. Well, it happened in that um, Cam Baird, who was a friend of mine in the army, who was killed in action, received a Victoria Cross, which is for Valor. He got awarded that Victoria Cross um, posthumously um, the same week we got Val. Okay. And one of the guys from work said, oh, I should call her Valor. And so we did and we was calling her that and then that became Val and then one day I called her Valerie and it just sort of stuck. She's now called Valerie, um, but mostly Val. But so anyway, we got this little spring of Spaniel and she was back and forth between me and Sam's house um, and we, we raised her and we filmed all the training. Like So we were both just in the army. Um, I would take her to work. Sam lived right near the base, so I would drop her at his house. We both work all day, training dogs, doing stuff. Um, go to his house, film, train with the dog, and then um, uh, editing the video and putting it all together. So after a while, we uh, had this video series on how to raise a puppy. We made a website out of it and um, does have people can buy it now. It's mskennels.com. There's my plug for myself, and uh, it's a complete guide to raising a puppy. Mm. Um, it's 25 videos, and it really is like an idiot's guide to, to raising a puppy. Um, so, yeah, uh, and then... Um, from there, Sam got posted down in Melbourne. Um, well, I'll, I'll go back a couple of steps. What, well, well, what time are we at? I can't see the screen. Uh, we've got... Oh, cool. uh, okay, yeah, so we've got time. It's yeah, so, all good. Um, so what had happened after I broke my back and I knew I had to leave the army at some point and I'm training all these dogs and it hadn't really occurred to me that like I could do that for a job. Um, I knew I just had to leave the army. Um, I... Thought I was going to go to uni. I thought, okay, I'm going to go to uni and do this thing. And I ended up getting the scholarship to this thing called the Warrior Scholar Project, which is a, a course at Yale where they do um, they teach people basically to go from um, army people to uni students. It's like a transition course. They do it in their summer. So um, I got a scholarship to that and I go over and it was hard. It was really, really hard. I had a hard time on that course, but I came around to the idea that I was going to be a uni student. Mm. And to come back to Australia... I did quite well on the course. They offered me a, a not a spot at Yale, but they said that I should apply, develop an academic record in Australia, and then apply. And I'm, I've got it in my head, yep, um, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to live my life. And then, again, dogs is my hobby. I just thought, I wonder what dog stuff I can do in America when I'm there. So I'd watched all Michael Ellis's DVDs and that sort of thing, um, and had watched. You know, was that's where a lot of my education had come from, which is a great foundation for anybody who's totally. Yeah, I, I mean. If you, if you haven't seen Michael Ellis's stuff, do yourself a favour. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, decided to look up his school because I thought, well, these guys are paying for me to go to America. Um, I'll see if I can pop into his school uh, while I'm there. So it just so happened that when I finished this course in the States on the Friday, uh, his puppy development course was starting on the Monday. So I changed my flights a little bit and went and did that. And so months at Yale they'd talk me into becoming a uni student and mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. And I'd come around to the idea of it and I was really excited. I'm coming home to start and go to uni. Um, and I'm just going to do this little dog training thing on the way, um, on my way home by morning tea on the first day. I was like, fuck that. 
I'm not going to uni. I'm going to become a dog trainer. This is what I want to do. This is this is so much more fun. I'm like immediately talked into this out of going to uni and into becoming a dog trainer. And that's where it was there that it kind of dawned on me. I was like, you can do this for a job. This guy is doing it. And I did pretty well on his little course. I did his puppy development course. And um, you really liked training the neighborhood dogs. Loved it. Mm. And that's when it sort of occurred to me like, wow, this is a this is something I can actually... It's a career. I can do. Yeah, this mm. is a job I can do. Um, and we were partway through filming the video series at, at that time. Um, so came home and that was the plan. Um, so I've been really lucky. Uh, I've been lucky in so many things in my life. and But in dogs, I've just had some really excellent experiences and some excellent training mentors and access to some excellent people that have got me to where I am now. Um, so I'm really thankful that I got that dog because if I'd gotten an easy dog, it would have just been another short hobby that disappeared quickly and I would have, you know, would have been an interesting time when I had that dog. But because it was such a problem, I had to delve into it so much deeper, which I'm grateful for. Um, had a really good foundation in like meeting Sam and getting taught all the things like as much as he did and just gave like just handed over knowledge as, as hand over fist like he does. Um, and, you know, never asked anything in turn. This is before we started the business. He was just happy to help me out as much as possible. And Sam, you have to understand, like you can't really sort of picture the workplace in the army, but when he, this not commando guy turns up at a commando unit and tells like him telling me the truth about my dog that day, um, it was a huge risk for him. Like, I could have made his life hell and crushed him ha- having done that. But instead I just appreciate it so much. So I'm so thankful that he did that. And then to take on like a, a mentoring role for me and training me, um, hugely valuable. Then to go to Michael Ellis's school, um, and, and be coached there, which, you know, a, a amazing experience. Like definitely while I was there was, okay, this is made the decision. This is what I want to do. I'm going to leave the army and I'm going to become a dog trainer. Mm. Um, and, and people that I met there, um, like, so there was a guy who worked for him at the time, Gary Cassera. Gary's got his own podcast as well. Um, we should put a link to, um, it's very good. Uh, what's it about? What's the canine industry stuff? Okay. Um, it's called, I think it's called the dog side. Let me have a look. Oh, while I'm talking, I'll I'll pull it up. Just what, what, just while you're doing that. The dog entrepreneur. The dog entrepreneur. Just going back to Sam for a minute. Um, and you talking about, you know, Sam taking risks. Sam's the type of person I don't know Sam anywhere near as well as you do. Um, I know him a little bit. I've got to know him a bit more, bit better over time. But what I do know about Sam is that if he doesn't give a shit about you, he'll just walk away. <laughs> he just he won't spend yeah. more than five seconds even standing in the same room with you. So I mean, if he if he generally cares, he'll sit down and he'll have a conversation with you. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's one thing I admire about Sam is that he is quite an honest guy. Yeah. Well. And that bites him in the ass a lot as well. So that's 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 <laughs> part of his issue is that Sam can um, – I love the guy, but he can offend people just with the truth, and he doesn't mind doing that. He doesn't dance around ideas. So he'll just tell you, like, the truth of what's going on, mm. um, and uh, some people get really upset about that. And, and what still amazes me is people go to him for his expert opinion and then get angry at him when he gives it. Like, it, I don't understand that. And he gives it, doesn't charge it. Yeah, like, but generally people prefer flattery over yeah. over reality. But people ask him about, say, breedings, because he's a pedigree genius in, in Malinois, Dutch Shepherd sort of area. Um, 
and he's got a kennel name called Black Flag. Black Flag, yeah. So he breeds his own dogs now. Um, Well, he's always been breeding dogs, but he breeds them under the banner of Black Flag and there's people all over the world sort of contributing to that. It's Mm. a really exciting project that he's got. Um, But people will ask him advice on pedigrees. He'll tell them what the likely outcome will be. And then when it is that, they get angry at him because because he made it happen. Like it... It's, I don't know if you'll agree to this, but maybe we can have a podcast with, with Sam one day. Yeah, of course. He'll, he'll come on for sure. Cool. Definitely. I'd love, um, I'd, I'd love to sit in the room and have a chat with him. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, he'd love it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that's hugely lucky of me to get tied up with Sam. And he gave me so much um, and continues to I continue to learn so much from him. But then when he got posted to Melbourne and right about the time I was sort of leaving the army... I was sort of in the dark, right? Mm. So then I link up with you and start training with you, and I'm hugely grateful for that and the opportunities that um, comes from that, and I've learned so much from you. And then we brought over Bart, and Bart's taught me so much, and I, you know, I'm on the phone to him pretty regularly talking training stuff, and I just have been hugely lucky in having the right people at the right time available to um, to coach and mentor me. So um, I'm going to say something about that just quickly because. I talk to students in the NDTF about it a lot. Um, it's one thing to have the opportunity. It's another thing to um, make opportunity as well and create opportunity for yourself. And, and, mate, you are one of those people who does actually actively seek things out. And when you do go out and seek them out, you do the right thing by it as well instead of just taking it for granted or taking the people for granted. You use the time wisely. Um, I've had a lot of people that I've worked with and helped or you know, trained with over the years. Uh, And once they get what they want, they're vapor. Mm. Um, Where you haven't done that, you've stuck around. I mean, you know, you've done hours and hours and hours in the suit with um, with and for my dog. You know, I mean, a a lot of the reason that um, Randy, I I mean, I think he's a successful dog. I'm very happy with the training style. Um, There's always a lot more I could do with him, but the work that I've achieved has largely been through um, you know, your hard work and dedication, especially having been a guy that's broken your back before, you know, come off a pretty severe injury, which ended your career, um, where other people sook and complain about a lot of things, you'll still get it in the suit, you're ready to go when other people, you know. Well, I think it's just that I love the training. You that's, do love the training and it, it and it shows in your work. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I love doing it. Um, and like I said, I've just been really lucky I've had right people there and something you know i always um when i was thinking about leaving the army to do this uh like i said i'd never charged anyone to 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 train a dog and i'd because it wasn't a job it was just a thing i was doing with people and you're kind of in charge and it's a really different Mm. um it's a really different dynamic so i wanted to see what it would be like to work as a full-time dog trainer teaching classes going to people's houses um and i spoke to lauren hoyle uh, who I'd met through um, Scruffy's, uh, the the dog uh, boarding, sorry, what are they, a doggy daycare. Mm. Um, anyway, and asked her if I could just shadow her for a month. And um, huge opportunity. Thank you so much, Lauren, for letting me do that because it was me learning what it's like to do that for a job. And just hung around with Lauren for a month, went and trained dogs with her um, and decided while I was there, like, yeah, I see how this is. And she showed me how, like, her systems work, how she drives around, and, and getting to practice interacting with what are now customers and clients instead of just people down the street whose dog you're helping out um, is a, it was 
was an excellent opportunity. I'm really thankful for that. So like I said, I've just been really lucky that everything falls into place. I've had the right people willing to help me out in the right way at the right time, all mm. the time. Um, yeah, that was actually quite generous of Lauren to do Oh, that. hugely, hugely. So I appreciate it so much. Mm. And, you know, I get asked to do it, and I have with other people, but um, it's a pain in the ass. It's, 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 it's a huge inconvenience having someone follow you around because dog trains, we make our own hours, we do things as we like, and to have someone tailing you around, I can imagine And for you're her, also effectively teaching your competitor. Exactly, 100%, 100%, um, which she very happily did. Um, mm. So I really appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, so that... That's kind of how I got into dogs, and it was a roundabout sort of way. Um, was never the plan. I um, was in the army, loved it, was really enjoying what I was doing. Um, sort of got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. Parallel to that, had been learning to train dogs um, and transitioned from one to the other, uh, and loving it now. Um, I, you know, my son Rip was born, as I said, two weeks before I got out of the army, so I'm home with him more than not um in that what happened was uh the canine conference was on in america and i wanted to go to that after like i was out and bart had come out and bart told us about it and he was going to be there and i wanted to go to it but it was on the same day as the tattoo convention my wife's a tattoo artist she owns a tattoo shop um so we had this talk about like who's got a job and who's got a career um and because only one of us could go to these things um and she's got a career she's uh gonna be she's an amazing tattoo artist and you know will be world famous for it mm. um i'm not interested in becoming a world famous dog trainer i love training dogs but it's a job at this point while so i'm more of a parent at the moment than i am a, a dog trainer um i still try to train plenty of dogs that's my job but i'm a stay-at-home dad more um more than that um so yeah that's sort of where i'm at with dogs um and the the business sort of evolves and moves all over the place for me and sam after we made the video series, uh, he's in Melbourne, so we don't train dogs together much anymore. It's only when we manage to get together. Mm. Um, but then one day we were talking about how we wanted to... I, I was just saying I wanted to go to a Bart Bellin seminar. And we we're just like... It just kind of conversation came around to, well, no one else was doing it. Let's do it. Um, so then that's how we started running seminars. We brought Bart out and that was the, the first seminar that we'd run, um, which went pretty well. And then now we represent Bart running his schools in Australia, the silver and gold Nipopo schools. Um, and you've actually become quite good friends with Bart and Michael. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mm. mean, they're great. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's it's funny to think that if a couple of years ago and I'm watching Bart's videos to think that um, I'm going to be getting a phone call from Bart Bellin in the night and talking dogs with him, you, I just wouldn't believe that that mm. was going to happen. Um, so like I said, I've just been so lucky that everything has worked out and fallen into place for me in that way. Um but yeah, uh, so we run seminars. That's what the business does. Seminars with the the the, um, the video series is just online. It doesn't take a lot of input from us. We that still ticks over. People buy that. Um, we've never had any negative feedback. We did in the start because we spelled heel wrong. That was it. <laughs> um, so I thought, well, if that's the worst it's feedback terrible. we can get, how, yeah. how dare you? We changed that, and that was that's all good now. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're really happy with that. We still have Valerie. The, the original intention was to not keep Val. Um, but sort of six months into it, I realized that I, I liked her and I wanted to keep her. Um, and she's kind of the unit mascot. You know, she goes everywhere with me. I mean, anyone that's met me at any dog thing has met Valerie. She goes everywhere. She's pretty synonymous with you, isn't she? Yeah. Mm. And, you know, in the meet, like, since Ryder passed away, um, I've had numerous dogs come through my hands. I like to raise puppies. And so they're, they're just, she's my dog. The other dogs are, you know, tools. They work things. They're, they're, I raise them, sell them, move them on, whatever. Um, train do- other people's dogs i always have dogs with me 
But Val's my, she's my dog. Mm. Um, she's lovely. I love her. She's awesome. She's lunatic. Um, she's a great little dog. I mean, like I said, she's synonymous with you. Like when you turn up, people are expecting to see Val. Like yeah. they're actually, I've heard people disappointed. Yeah, when she's not there. Up. Yeah. yeah. But she's good, and, and the video series, it is what it is. You get to see her. I take her everywhere. There's no hiding what she is. Um, the training works. Um, so, you know, we still really support it. It's not the way that I'm raising working dogs at the moment. It's for pet people. It's, it's how to raise a perfect pet. Mm. Um, and honestly, anyone that follows through the program is going to have a great dog if you follow it through. It, it, it just covers how to train a dog, market training, how to live the dog crate training, all, and then up to some tricks and basic obedience stuff. So I, I actually do recommend your video to people. Um, yeah, cool. We breed Shepherds and Roddies um, through Sartscom. But um, I um, regularly tell people, regardless whether you're planning to come to a, uh, a puppy training school, they should still consider checking the video out because it's something that they can do in their own time. Yeah. People claim to be very time poor uh, in this day and age. I don't know why they claim to be so time poor, but... Regardless, it is something that they um, make excuses for. So that being the case, and that being the case that people are sitting on their smartphones or their iPads or whatever they're doing, they can um, sit down and utilize that time and train the dog in their living room, yeah, primarily right. like you did with Val. Exactly. Just That's the video. There's nothing fancy. She's just raised in our house um, uh, and filmed off of a handy cam while we're while we're doing it so the, it is just really raw and anything anyone can do there's only, it's only about two hours of footage if you watch the whole thing end to end mm. um and it's the 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 sticking point of why we wanted to make it and why i'm still really proud of it i mean we're not i'm not pushing it it'd be great if more people buy it but I'm not, that's not the intent of this is but i i'm always telling people be careful I have clients now that will watch online videos and of trainers and that video is always to show you how good the trainer is mm. it's not to show you the process for the dog so our video series is 100 percent to show you how to train the dog how you can do it to train the dog mm. it's not to show off my skills as a trainer and it was filmed at a time where my skills weren't amazing um so it's not designed to show you how good i am and a lot of people's videos that they put up is designed to hey look how good i am get me out for a seminar which is that's their intent, and I agree with it. That's what you do. Mm. But, but the 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 bones of of your video, what it was designed for, are genuine. Yeah, mm. and so I get people like I have clients now that will say, "Hey, I saw this per- video of this person doing this. I want to do that." And I would say, "Well, why? Like, why do you want your dog to do that? What's the practical application? Yeah. What's because the point this is of a it? pet dog that you're never going to go into competition yeah. for. And it looks cool. And if you want to do it just because it looks cool, mm. I'm a hundred percent on board. If you just want it to look cool, but if you think there's an outcome for that that I don't understand, well, please explain to me what you think that is because I don't see it. Whereas our video series really truly is just how to train your pet dog to be an awesome pet dog, how to live happily with your dog, mm. happy, healthy, social pet is what we say. Cool. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's sort of how we came to be here now. Um, and I'll, uh, clearly, like, you know, most careers, that's an, a very, very abbreviated version. Yeah, you know, there's, of I mean, and the luxury of, of having the... Um, podcast ability now is that uh, if there's anything that we didn't fill in along the way that we'll, you know, hopefully get to discuss with people, sometimes, you know, points will come up about our career and we'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. that that's something that was fascinating or interesting or relevant um, to what we're talking about now. So <clears throat> I think that's probably a good place to wind it up anyway because we're reaching our um, allotted time limit that yeah. we're 
pretty much working on. So, mate, thank you very much. My I'm, pleasure. I'm thanks for everyone going through our story. I mean, before we run, like, I think it's important that we get our stories out of the way before we move on to doing any podcast stuff so people have a frame of reference mm, if they don't course. know us personally and they can be like who are these two blokes that are talking and why, why are they worth listening to now, well now you understand you know i've bit. listened to podcasts of people before and they're just a couple of bullfeds talking bullfed stories like us and, like us <laughs> and um you know to some people um things that we're going to talk about are, are going to be very relevant uh and to other people they're going to sit there and critique it and think you know these guys are just talking a load of shit. That's okay. That's personal opinion. I'm, yeah. I can live with that. I've lived with that um, all through my career of being a trainer that, um, you know, the old saying, again, the only thing that two trainers agree on is what the third person's doing wrong, mm. or third trainer's doing wrong. You know, it's been something that people have laughed at, but it's, you know, it's pretty much a critical appraisal of how the industry Yeah, for functions. sure. Uh, and, and you know what the most important... I've had that conversation with so many people and I hear that, that saying gets said so often. Mm. But what <clears throat> what's undeniable by all three trainers is a finished result. Mm. If the dog is conducting the behavior on command every time with his tail up and his ears up and eyes burning like cigarettes, then they're doing a good job no matter how they got there. Cool story, bro. Show <laughs> me your dog. Yeah, exactly. So that's, mm. that's a saying I've been known to say and... Um, for our PSA club that we started, which we'll talk about in another podcast, that is the... the that's the logo. That's the logo. Cool mm. story. Show me a dog. Mm. Because I hear so many people be critical of others or talk about their own, but get your dog out of the car and let's see what he's got. Yep. Um, and that's why with Valerie, that's my big thing. Like, I'll get her out and I'll show you what she's got no matter what. She comes everywhere with me and she... she you know, training depends on... What other dogs I have, it goes in ebbs and flows. Sometimes she gets a lot more effort and other times she gets not so much. But that, that core foundation is always there. She knows what she's got to do when she's got to do it. And she's just happy. She's got no tail to lift because she got happy tail and had to be <laughs> amputated. So she's got a little nub. Um, but you can see she's a happy dog. Um, and the dog I've got at the moment, um, sweet, precious, tiny little baby Remco, he's a happy dog, right? He's um, a happy dog. And he loves his training and he's another dog that you'll pull out regularly. Yeah. And... The good thing about it is that um, you, you're not opposed to pulling the dog out and showing people, uh, you know, like regardless of saying he's halfway through his training, you'll pull him out and say, here's what I'm doing yeah. so far. This is where we're at this and is where this we're is what at. we're working on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's that's my story. Cool story. Show me a dog. Cool story. Show me a dog. Yeah, I like it. And so thanks a lot, guys. Um, thank you very much to everybody who supported the first episode and gave us feedback. Of course, as we said at the beginning, please give us feedback on anything that you think we should be doing, saying um, anything that uh, could be better, um, more content, less content. Uh, we're going to go. The podcast is here for other people, not just for Pat and I. Exactly. So listeners are our supporters. Yep. Um, so and, and that feedback can come you know, in a lot of ways. You can hit us on Facebook. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, the Canine Paradigm is our, our Facebook page and instagram i saw you put uh, it yeah. instagram on, We're on instagram or on our if you know us send us our personal um facebook page whatever um facebook's the easiest way to get in contact with us uh and you can talk about dog training out here uh at pet resorts you, you guys are on facebook as well right but your pet resorts Australia. Pet resorts and canine evolution yeah we're on evolution we've, we've got um multiple websites and um facebook pages so yeah, yeah. and ours is mskennels.com um so yeah, get in touch with us however you like. Um, mm, mm. And that's it from us. 
yeah, that's it for us for another episode. And on the next episode, uh, just, oh, well, I think just prior to, to closing off, uh, if you have a, if you'd like to appear on our show, if you have something relevant that you'd like to talk about, hundred percent, um, hit us up, come and talk to us, and uh, we'd love to have you as a guest on the show. And uh, rather than just listen to us, obscurity, <laughs> I'll uh, end it there. So as Pat said, there's plenty of ways to contact us. Hit us up on our um, Facebook page, probably the easiest one to go to. And we'll see you in the next episode. Ciao. Bye.